Amen. Well, again, Merry Christmas. We are so glad you are here with us this morning. Um, and uh, again, as I said earlier, there are very few things that are as exciting as expecting uh, the birth of a, uh, a little one. And um, there are also very few things that are as stressful and, uh, and crazy as, as getting ready for the birth of that, of that little one. There are so many little details that uh, we in our culture, we, we try to take care of. Um, and then there's, there's other things too that, uh, that kind of add to the anticipation. Um, we throw parties for people, we have baby showers, um, it, is a, it is a very exciting and joyous time in the life of the church when somebody is expecting. Well, last week, we hopped into the book of Luke here, and um, we saw a young girl named Mary who got some amazing news. I'll call it amazing news. Uh, there had been 500 or 400 years of silence from God, um, and just a few months earlier, Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, uh, was visited, or I'm sorry, her, uh, her cousin, cousin's husband, Zachariah, was visited by an angel who said that in their old age, they would conceive and have a son, and that he would come in the spirit of Elijah. And then just a few months later, this young girl named Mary is visited by the same angel, and she is told that she will have a child as a virgin, as a woman who is not yet married. Um, I think sometimes we read the story and we think, oh, it's, it's beautiful, it's pretty, it's, it's nice, it's, it's great. Um, but I, I challenge us. That was a tremendous burden to bear for Mary. Um, it was not an easy road uh, that God had paved uh, before her. It was definitely not according to the world standards or Jewish customs during the time. According to that plan, a good plan or a good design. I'm sure there were several times that Mary was probably questioned, ridiculed, looked down upon. Last week we saw that uh, a meek and humble heart is the fertile soil in which the word of God takes root. And we saw this young girl, Mary, hear the words of this angel and say, I am the Lord's servant. Do with me as you have said. And she gladly takes this burden upon herself. We learn in the, uh, in the other gospel accounts that Joseph would also be visited after he hears that Mary is with child and he's already considering uh, divorcing her, putting her away uh, quietly. But the angel visits him. He says, no, this is of the Lord. And Joseph humbly walks in obedience uh, the angel tells Mary, though, uh, I'm going to give you a sign. Mary doesn't ask for a sign, but the angel says to, to Mary, listen, go to Elizabeth, your cousin. She is with child. This will be a sign for you. And when Mary shows up, the child inside of Elizabeth's womb leaps. And Elizabeth sings this beautiful song to the Lord, praising God for all that he has done. We end it last week with a phrase, 
that the angel says to that Mary says to the or the main angel says to Mary that nothing is impossible with God. And we see two young women here. Well, one young woman and one older woman who are both going to conceive within a few uh, conceive and give birth within a few months of each other. God is using some unusual, strange, lowly circumstances to bring glory to himself. When Zechariah hears the prophecy that, that his wife Elizabeth is going to bear a child, uh, God says, I'm going to give you a sign. You're not going to speak until this child is born. And when John is born, eight days later, he is circumcised. And the mother, which is unusual, the mother names him John, which is what the angels told the father to name him. And they question, and they're like, nobody in your family is named John. Zechariah speaks up finally, and he says, the child's name is John. And everyone is shocked. They're in fear of what is happening before their eyes. The reason I tell this story as a, as a backstory here, um, I think it's significant to our story today to find out where the hearts of the people who are going to receive the Savior for the first time are. See, they're not waiting for the Savior to come. They're not expecting that it's going to be in their lifetime. See, Zechariah, Zechariah, when he receives his prophecy here, um, the angel quotes an Old Testament prophet in Malachi. And he says, he will turn their hearts back to their fathers. That's what John's job is. We have to say then that the people that John is going to be witnessing to, that he is going to be preaching to repent, they need to repent. Their heart is far from God. Remember, 400 years, silence. Apathy is set in. And we turn to Luke chapter 2 in verse 1 here. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius, the governor of Syria, uh, when Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and all went to be registered to his hometown. Now, we, we have to ask, why does Luke give us so many details here? Okay. Um, tradition holds, we don't have any proof of this, but we, we assume um, that Luke went around and interviewed individuals to try to get eyewitness accounts of what actually happened. Um, tradition holds that he actually got a hold of Mary at one point. The only reason that that lends any credence to is we have information here that Mary was probably only privy to. But he gives this information of a a vague timeline here. And he says, Caesar said everyone needs to be registered. So everyone went back to their hometowns. Well, why did the people need to be registered? Why did the people need to be numbered? The same reason we're numbered today, people. Taxes, right? Taxes. We want to make sure we get money on each and every individual that's living in this country. That's what the government says. There's two other reasons, though, too. One of them was a a draft, a a conscription. Um, They wanted to know how many able-bodied fighting men that they had in the empire. 
Now, the Jews probably wouldn't have fought. Um, They probably wouldn't have fought for Rome. But that leads us to the second reason. They definitely would have fought against Rome. And when you number the people, you know exactly how many forces you need in a particular area to keep the peace. See, that's how man keeps the peace. That's how Rome kept the peace. It was an occupation sent down by the king. But I think there's also another reason. And I mentioned to Stephen Page as we, as we started this morning, uh, you know, how long ago did you know where, where Jen was going to, to give birth here? And it's kind of a two-sided coin here. Because those of us who know scripture had known for thousands of years where Mary was going to give birth. We knew it was a little town of Bethlehem. And we sing this song, Mary, did you know? But we don't know if she, if she knew those scriptures. We didn't know if she knew for sure that she would have to go to Bethlehem. But what we have here is the government orchestrating it. There's no possible way that Joseph and Mary were like, oh, listen, guys, we got to we gotta go to Bethlehem. It's time, it's time for the Messiah to be born, and the, the Bible says it. So, hey, uh, you know, the Old Testament says it, so that's where we have to be. No, God is working behind the scenes, using something that the people hate. Oh, they're going to number us for taxes. Oh, they're going to they're going to try to force us to fight. Oh, they're going to they're going to bring more troops in because there's more of us here. And God says, "You know what? From a human perspective in your hearts, you guys think all of that. I'm working behind the scenes. I'm moving the pieces. You don't have to do anything. I'm completely in control." Verse 2. Verse 4, so Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. So Joseph packs up his betrothed wife, who's eight and a half months pregnant, Dr. Sayer. Uh, if um, a patient were to come to you and say, hey, listen, uh, we're, we're going to go on a, on a trip. Um, we don't want to cancel the trip, okay? Um, it's, it's about two or three weeks before I'm supposed to give birth here. Um, don't worry, we're not going to be doing anything strenuous, okay, uh, on, this, on this trip. Uh, but there might be some light horseback riding, donkey riding. But it's only for four days because that's how long it would take for them to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem. What are you going to say, Dr. Sayer? Not a good idea idea at all. But Caesar commanded it. And therefore they get on the donkey and they start this path. It says, to the city of David, because Joseph was of the house of David. Well, there's also a, uh, another uh, nice little convenient thing here that we learn in, uh, we don't really learn here, but verse five says, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Both Joseph and Mary were of the line of David. Both of them go into Bethlehem. Now, if we look back 
at 1 Samuel chapter 16, we see a very interesting story. We see a a prophet who comes to this man's house named Jesse. He is a Bethlehemite. You might come up with a better name, but that's what they call him, a Bethlehemite. It's not a Bethlehemer, okay? It's a Bethlehemite. And this man has many sons. And it says that the prophet is coming to anoint a king. And when he comes into Bethlehem, everyone asks him, why are you here? They're afraid of him. They're scared. They're like, listen, have you come for a good purpose or for an evil one? He's like, I I bring good news. He goes to Jesse's house. He says, hey, go clean your boys up. Get them ceremonially ready. So Jesse goes and he gets them all ceremonially ready. He gets them all spiffed up here, right? Gets them a haircut, gets them a beard shave, you know, whatever. Like everything I did today, okay? Gets them looking really, really good. And this prophet sees the first one and he's like, that's it. That's the guy. And God says, nope. Brings his next son. God says, no. His next son, no. Goes through all of his sons that he's cleaned up. And he says, don't you have any more sons? Aren't there any more? And Jesse says, well, there's this other kid. I mean, but he's out with the sheep. Go get him. I'm not going to sit down. I'm not going to do anything until he comes into my presence. And they run with haste and they get him. And it says the young boy was beautiful. His eyes were beautiful. He was ruddy. And the prophet anoints this little shepherd boy as king of Israel in Bethlehem. This little boy named David, who that morning woke up and did everything that he was supposed to do. Went out with the sheep, lived with the sheep, smelled like the sheep. His dad overlooked him. But he just does his job. Humbly does his job. This is the city that they're going to. This is the town where everything starts because we will learn that from this little boy, The Savior of the world will someday come. The lineage of David. It says to be registered with his betrothed. Uh, Don't miss this, guys, okay? This is not an accident. This is not, oh, you know, some people think that when Joseph and Mary started their journey, they were already married. They're not married yet, they're in that engagement process still. But Joseph is humbly and faithfully walking with Mary all the way to Bethlehem. Verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Because there was no place for them in the inn. We've heard this story several times, right? Several times. David, you got a room in the inn that night, okay? You're sitting in the, in the foyer. Everybody's kind of having a good time. All of a sudden, pregnant man, or pregnant man, whew, be serious, whoo, pregnant woman, pregnant woman and a man walks in and you hear the innkeeper say, 
No more rooms. David, what are you going to do? You would, right? See, I know David would. Ben, you give up your room? Are you saying yeah? Okay, good, good. I couldn't see him. My eyes aren't as good anymore. I'm 43. So I was like, I can't see you. Um, He's given up his room. Again, I think this tells us a little about the heart condition of where the people of Bethlehem are. I think any, any man, woman, or child in this room, if you see a pregnant woman walking in who's not just like, eh, pregnant, but pregnant, you're going to say, you know what? You take the room. I'll find somewhere else to sleep tonight. But not this innkeeper, not the people of Bethlehem. You know, we pretty the manger scene up around Christmas. We, we drive by and we see the, the lit up, you know, manger scene. And it's like, oh, that is just so precious. It was the furthest thing from precious that you can imagine. Guys, again, I tend to think about the, the human response sometimes when I'm, when I'm just reading these words here. Um, my heart almost breaks for Joseph here. Um, Stephen, we talked, uh, you're prepared. Like, you were trying to make sure that everything went according to plan. And here's this young man with his, not even his first child, but the one that he's going to be tasked with raising. And the woman that he's going to marry. And they get to the inn and there's no room. I mean, you must start to feel a little bit like a failure. Like you've let, you've let your new soon-to-be wife down. You've let this child down somehow. You guys have to go and sleep with the animals. How much of a failure do you think he, he felt like? But it says she gave birth. It, it doesn't say that there was anything extraordinary about this birth. It doesn't say that she gave birth and Mary had no pain. Just like the Holy Spirit came and overshadowed, uh, the Holy Spirit took the baby out and she was like, oh, look, a kid. This is great. No. It was as normal a childbirth as you could imagine, except for the fact that she's in an animal stall on the ground. In the cold, in pain. I don't know what Joseph was thinking. The angel said, this is is how it's going to happen. God, uh, Mary too, God, you, you told us this is what was going to happen. God, we got to the inn and you didn't even have a room for us. God, all of this thousands of years of planning, the lineage, the line of David, everything, and we get to this moment and we don't even have a room? God, I, I, I knew that the you know, nine months of pregnancy and ridicule would be difficult, but I kind of thought we'd you'd throw us a bone here a little bit. Any of you seen Fiddler on the Roof? How many of you have seen Fiddler on the Roof? There's a great line in there that Tevye gives. And he's talking to God and he says, Dear God, He says, I know we are your chosen people, but every once in a while, could you choose someone else? (laughs) But that's what they're feeling here, I bet. 
It almost seems like everything that could have gone wrong has gone wrong for these people. And they take him. Mary takes him, wraps him in swaddling clothing. And again, we kind of clean it up here and we say, lies him in a manger. That manger is a, it's a feeding trough. Um, I know we've got the nice wooden picture in our mind of the nativity. There's a good chance it was just a stone, a big stone that had a, uh, like a gully dug in it. And that's where they put their newborn child. Stephen, you put Harper on a stone slab, wrap her up. I mean, that's, that's where you put her. Not a chance. You're like, oh, the animals ate out of that. It's gross. It's disgusting. That's where they place the baby. A very lowly labor. Guys, our big idea today <laughs> is going to fly in the face of what we're seeing right here. But we're going to turn it around with this next section. The word of the Lord should cause joy and peace as we treasure all that he has done in our hearts. And I would say that from a human perspective, Mary and Joseph right now are probably at the very least being tested in their joy and peace in this situation. They definitely don't have peace. They don't have comfort. It's hard to be joyful in the midst of all of these things. I'm sure they were excited at the new life here. But it's a rough start. I mean, anybody would say that. We come here to Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And we get a totally different scene here. So we're inside the city of Bethlehem, and then just outside, there are these shepherds. Now, the, the town of Bethlehem, Bethlehem means house of bread. It was a very fertile land. It was about five miles outside of Jerusalem proper, proper here, um, and it was a farming community. It was a place that the land was really good for planting, um, and it was also really good for grazing and raising sheep. And the Bible shifts gears and it talks about a shepherd again in Bethlehem. I don't think there is anything lost on the fact that we are in the city of David and then we shift back to these shepherds that are out in the field keeping watch over their flocks while the king is born. Their flocks here. We have to think about their flocks. What are they, what are they raising? Well, they're raising, they're raising sheep. Um, and they're raising the sheep that would be sacrificed over and over again. They're raising these sheep. The sheep that they are raising are the sheep that would be sold in the marketplace to the people to sacrifice in the temple. They would be given to the priests to be sacrificed for sins. These shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. Verse nine, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. Scary, right? I mean, think about it, guys. Pitch black. It's the dead of night here. It's a clear sky at night. Maybe you have the light of the moon. 
all of a sudden, an angel appears. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. It goes from night to day like that. Like that. You guys ever experienced that? Where you come into, into the light out of darkness? Takes a second, right? Takes a second for your eyes to adjust here. But these lowly shepherds, doing what they're supposed to be doing, keeping watch over their flocks, are suddenly startled by a great light and a messenger. And they're scared out of their mind. The glory of the Lord shone around them. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The greatest birth announcement ever. Right? Hey, Phil. When, um, when Nate was born, um, who were some of the people that you called first? Parents, right? Call your parents. Like, that's, that's the first move, right? Um, back when, when Billy was born, that was the first, they were the first people that I called. I called my parents. I was like, hey, it's a boy. I was so excited. I was, I was overjoyed, excited. Um, you know, I came out into the waiting room, and, and it was just, it was, it was overjoyed. I wanted to tell everyone, it's a boy. We got on Facebook. Was Facebook a thing? No, I got on my, oh boy. I got on my, uh, it wasn't MySpace. Um, we had a blog, right? We called it PB&J, Pastor Billy and Julie. PB&J, two people and their love for a sandwich. And I wrote the most eloquent birth announcement that I think I have ever written. On very little sleep. But I wanted to shout it from the rooftops. What does God do? God goes out to the shepherds. He doesn't go to the temple. He doesn't go to the high priest. He doesn't go to Caesar. He doesn't go to anybody with any real power. He goes to the lowliest of low. The shepherds out in the field. Who are tending and raising the sheep that are going to be sacrificed. And the angel says something profound. Behold, I bring you good news. What's good news? The gospel. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Not for your people. Not just for some of the people. But for all people. I would be one of those shepherds standing there. This is the greatest news ever proclaimed, and they get to be a part of it. The lowly are so highly exalted at this point. In their, in their humble state, they're raised up to be the first ones to hear this message. It'll be for all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Now, these are Jewish men. They hear this word, Savior, and they're like, oh, 
Savior. Wait, that, that sounds familiar. He continues and says, who is Christ the Lord? It is unmistakable what this angel is telling them. Your Redeemer has come. The one who has been promised and waited for is here. All of these sheep that you're sacrificing, they may not fully understand this right now, but guess what, guys? In 30 years, well, in 60 years, you're going to be out of business. Because there ain't going to be a temple anymore. But you're going to be out of business for 90 years. You're going to be out of business. They hear this news, and it's of great joy that'll be for all people. The Savior has come, the one who is going to deal with sin finally, the one who is going to bring an end to this endless sacrifice. The perfect sacrifice is here. Verse 12, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Oh, wait a minute. Hang on, God. Are you telling me that you orchestrated something here, all of these issues and problems that we have, so that it would be unmistakable for these shepherds to find this child? How many kids do you think are lying in a manger in Bethlehem tonight? Not many. But God, are you, are you saying that we're, uh, we're supposed to find a baby in a feeding trough? Wrapped in swaddling clothes. This is the message. Go find them. That's the sign. That's the sign. Verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among whom he is well pleased. Now listen, you had one angel. All of a sudden you got a choir of angels the whole sky is lit, is lit up. You want to talk about fear and awe? I mean, these lowly shepherds just got a glimpse of heaven. Standing in a field surrounded by dirty sheep in Bethlehem. The greatest birth announcement ever. Their fear will be turned to joy. Their fear of the angels will be turned to joy at the message that they hear. Let's see their response here. We have an amazing announcement, and then we have this, this, this response to this announcement here. Luke chapter 2, in verse 15. When the angels went away from them unto heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Guys, when these guys hear the word of God, they go. They don't stand there and say, ooh, what was that? Maybe it was something we ate. Shouldn't have had that pepperoni pizza before dinner. No, they don't say that. They're like, the Lord has made something great known to us. Let's go and see the sign. The faith that they have. What happens to their flocks here? Uh -huh. Who stays with them? Nobody. Everybody who saw it goes. They leave their flocks. They leave everything and with joy go to find this king. I'm going to meddle a little bit, kids, this morning. 
How many of you would leave all of your presents around the tree to go find a baby in a feeding trough? Mm, That's a tough ask, Pastor Billy. That's a real tough ask. These guys are leaving everything that they have, everything that they know, every responsibility that they have. They forget what is behind and they press on to what God has called them to do. And they go with haste and they find the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And all who had it, all who heard it, wondered at what the shepherds had told them. What does this word wondered mean? It's a tough word in English. Uh, most times that, that Luke uses this word um, in, uh, in the rest of, of his writings here, um, it, it kind of means this idea of uh, a confusion, a, um, and a marveling amazement at something that is, that is unusual. Uh, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like a joke. Like you know, you're, uh, somebody tells the first part of the joke, which seems very logical, a very logical setup, and then all of a sudden the second part of the joke comes, and they rip the rug out from underneath of you, and it's something unexpected. We call that a punchline, um, and and everyone laughs. That's kind of the idea here. What do you, what do you mean? Like this is a great story, but. I'm wondering at, at all of these things that you're telling me. There were angels and a whole host of angels and a baby and a feeding trough. And, uh, you know, I, I, I can't put all of these things together. You know, the unique thing about this is that God sends the men who were charged with raising and tending the lambs that were to be sacrificed to go see the man and the woman who would be charged with raising the lamb that would be sacrificed. It says they wonder at this. But what does Mary do? It says, but Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. This is the story. This is how it happened. This is how it was recorded for us. And this is where it leaves us today. Are you left wondering at the story? Do you hear the words that are, that are written here and you're kind of like, man, the story is just, it's amazing. It's, it's almost too good to be true. It's hard to believe. Wow, pretty cool. Or are you like Mary? Are you treasuring up these things and pondering them? I said this last week, guys. You know, we sing this song, Mary, Did You Know? I think Mary was incredibly intelligent. Um, I do. I, I don't think she, she thought for one second that anything happened by accident. Um, she's gathering all of these stories and all of these evidences. And instead of being like, oh, man, I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know this. I don't, and, and getting all worried and everything. She is building up a treasury of faith inside her heart. And she's meditating on these things. She's pondering them. And her faith is being doubled down and doubled down and doubled down in every step that this little one is going to take. At every event that's going to happen. And here we are today. 
And last week we covered some of the prophecies of, of Jesus here. And today we cover his actual birth and the circumstances that surround it. And what does that cause us to do in our heart? Do we just sit here and say, that's a cute story? Or do we treasure it in our hearts? The word of God that has gone out here, the word of the Lord that came through the prophecies about this baby, the word of God that came to Zechariah and the sign that was given to him, the word of God that came to Mary and then eventually became a child in the flesh here, the word of God that came to the shepherds here should cause joy and peace. And we should treasure these things in our hearts because of what he has done. Guys, this story is amazing. The reason we tell it each and every year is we continue to ponder it. This is the greatest gift that was ever given. The salvation of man's souls given on a night in Bethlehem just like any other night to two kids who were just like any other kids, to lowly shepherd living out in the field who could have been any one of us. God chose to use these circumstances to do something absolutely amazing. The word of the Lord ends here in our passage here. It says, at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Guys, nothing is out of God's control. It seems from a human perspective that Mary and Joseph's situation was chaotic, hectic, not ideal. But we see all of the pieces that fit together here. We see the story behind the story of David and the shepherds and we see the story of them finding him in a, in a manger, in a, in a feeding trough. And we look at all of these pieces and we say, how could this have been a coincidence? How could this have been an accident? How could anyone have contrived this story for thousands of years that we would come to this moment here? And the question we're left, we're left with is, is this just a fun myth? Is this something that we tell our kids at Christmas? It's a nice story? Or do we truly treasure these things up? If you're here today and you have not accepted Jesus as your Savior, this is the story of how this man, God-man, came to this earth. And this God-man came to this earth to live a perfect life to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law, to be the perfect spotless lamb that would be sacrificed. But God saw fit to not let his body see decay, to not let him see death. He took our sins to the cross and our sins died with him. Again, not just a nice story, that we ponder and look at because death and sin could not hold him, but he rose again in fulfillment of everything that God said would happen to this God-man. See, Jesus did not have an easy life, and I know you don't have an easy life, 
Jesus' life wasn't easy from day conception to the day he rose again. People would constantly question him. People would constantly look down on him. People would constantly look down on his family. Remember, guys, God chooses the lowly things to exalt by his power, by his might, not by our own working. Joseph and Mary, humble servants. They let the word of the Lord change their life. They treasured these things in their heart and they doubled down on their faith and they doubled down on their faith. For those of you who don't know Christ, this is more than just a warm, fuzzy story because it's not a warm, fuzzy story. It ends in death and heartache. But that death and heartache don't last. That fear and pain are turned to joy at the resurrection. This is the life that you're being offered. This is the promise that you're being offered. Eternal life with the Savior of the world who came one night as a baby in Bethlehem. For those of us who do know Christ, this should cause our faith to be strengthened. This should not cause our faith to be shaken. If anything, we can look at the circumstances of Christ's birth here and say, wow, a lowly labor. Nothing special, but what a special life. Guys, my encouragement to you is to allow the word of God to cause joy and peace in your life to treasure all that he has done for you, all that he has done through scripture in your hearts. And as we leave this place and celebrate Christmas tomorrow, double down on your faith in your heart. 